Let's open a word of prayer before we get started. Heavenly Father, we're just thankful we're one body in Christ, and we know when needs come up, we have the opportunity to share those needs and by praying for each other. Father, we come before you because according to Romans 8.28, we know that you work it all out according to your, uh, for good, according to good for you, which is good for us. And Father, I just pray for all of these needs even presented. We pray for Joe as he recovers, Debbie, the family. And just pray you bring healing to him. Pray for Brent, this open door that Steve has with him. We pray for SOS Ministries. We just pray you be with Mike. Uh, we know you can heal, Lord. You're the, you've created our, our bodies. We don't know everything going on, but you do. And just pray, Father, even for a miracle, that you can get the honor and the glory. Pray with. Uh, just pray this morning as we look at your word that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, clear communication is so important in life, isn't it? When we use phrases like green as grass, sharp as a tack, blue as the sky, sweet like candy, we can visualize certain images in our mind. Charles Swindoll shares this story from his time serving in the Marines, how important communication is. It's entitled, Don't Garble the Message. If I heard that once during Marine boot camp, I've heard it four dozen times. A colonel issued this directive to his executive officer. Tomorrow evening, approximately 2,000 hours, Halley's Comet will be visible in the area, an event which occurs only once every 75 years. Have the men fall out in the battalion area in fatigues, and I will explain this rare phenomenon to them. Case of rain, we will not be able to see anything, so assemble the men in the theater, and I'll show films of it. So now the executive officer to the company commander. By the order of the colonel, tomorrow at 2,000 hours, Haley's Comet will appear above the battalion area. If it rains, fall the men out in fatigues and march to the theater where the rare phenomena will take place, something which occurs once every 75 years. Company commander to lieutenant. By order of the colonel in fatigues at 2,000 hours tomorrow evening, the phenomenal Halley's Comet will appear in the theater. <laughs> in case of rain in the battalion area, the colonel will give another order, something which occurs once every 75 years. <laughs> uh, it gets better. Lieutenant to sergeant. Tomorrow at 2,000 hours, the colonel in fatigues will appear in the theater with Halley's Comet. <laughs> something which happens every 75 years. If it rains, the colonel will order the comet into the battalion area. <laughs> Finally, sergeant to the squad. When it rains tomorrow at 2,000 hours, the phenomenal 75-year-old General Haley, accompanied by the colonel, will drive his comet <laughs> through the battalion area theater in fatigues. <laughs> and it gets a little garbled up there along the way. Well, a great way that Jesus communicated during his earthly ministry was through parables. 
Some define parables as an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, while others, like Noah Webster, define them as a representation of something real in life or nature from which a moral is drawn for instruction. Parables Jesus shared while on this earth include the lost sheep, the prodigal son in Luke 15, the sower in Matthew 13, the house built on the rock in Matthew 7, lamp under a basket, parable in Matthew 5. Well, this morning we're going to look at a parable Jesus used to teach, and it's well known but sometimes misunderstood. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan, and it's located in Luke chapter 10. Join me in Luke 10, beginning of verse 25, and here we find three parts to understanding the Good Samaritan. To preview the three parts, they will include the setting, the story, and then the lessons. Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 25. And a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers. And they stripped him and beat him and went away leaving him half dead. And by chance a priest was going down on that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise the Levite also when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him and when he saw him, he felt compassion and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do the same. First part to understanding the Good Samaritan begins with the setting, and that's in verses 25 to 29. This part of understanding the parable includes two questions. And in verse 25, we come to the first question. Verse 25, the lawyer says, to Jesus to test him. Jesus, our teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus is in the middle of teaching the 70 who would represent the Lord as ambassadors to prepare the way for his coming. Only the book of Luke records this commissioning of the 70. Jesus sends 70 as disciples to take a mission to take the gospel to the cities of Galilee knowing that they're going to face a lot of opposition like Jesus already has and will, Jesus gives them instructions uh, beginning at verse 
10, we look back in this chapter and we see what that instruction is. Verse 10 of chapter 10. But whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your city which clings to our feet, we wipe off and protest against you. Yet be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I say to you, it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. So they will be coming with the authority of Christ, paving the way as Jesus will be visiting those cities. Pastor and commentator Warren Worsby shares, Christ's ambassadors were indeed privileged people. They were able to see and hear things that the greatest saints in the Old Testament yearned to see and hear, but could not. The Messiah was at work, and they were part of His work. So in the middle of teaching the 70 that were being sent out by Jesus, and as He talked privately even to the disciples, a lawyer, a scribe, an expert in the law of Moses and the Jewish law stood up and tested Jesus with the question, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So we think of that question, this is the greatest question ever asked and answered. And it was on the minds of the, every Jew all the time. Jewish scholars like this lawyer knew the Old Testament promised eternal life. This lawyer made this question very personal when he says, What shall I do? to inherit eternal life. John Wolverd from Dallas Seminary relates, this question surfaced on many occasions. Matthew 19, Luke 18, John 3. However, the question in this case was not sincere as this lawyer wanted to test Jesus. Jesus answers this question in verse 26 with a question where he says to him, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? Jesus was asking the lawyer, what does the law read to you? You recite it twice a day and it's all summed up, of course, in the Ten Commandments. And the lawyer answers in verse 27, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. He's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, and Leviticus 19, 18, regarding the Ten Commandments. John MacArthur shares, the first half of the Ten Commandments has to do with our relation to God, and the second half has to do with our relationship to men. Or you can squeeze it down to even tighter into two commandments. First, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And second, loving your neighbor as yourself. And if you do that, you don't need any rules because perfect love precludes any rules. Quote, unquote. Jesus answers the lawyer in verse 28. And He said, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Do this and you will live Live meaning eternal life. Jesus quotes Leviticus 18.5, Do this and you will live. If you want eternal life, you know the rule. Love God perfectly. 
Love your neighbor as yourself. Do that and you'll have eternal life. So now we're at a decision point. As a lawyer should have confessed, I can't keep the law. I'm not capable. I'm sinful. I'm not holy. I'm like the publican in Luke 19 to beat our breast and cry out, God be merciful to me a sinner. The lawyer under conviction should have been broken and cried out for mercy. But we come to verse 29 and the lawyer gives his answer. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? This lawyer wanted to put on the front that he was self-righteous. So he diverts with the second question, Who is my neighbor? The man thinks he loved God perfectly and loved others the same way he loved himself. So he's asking Jesus, redefine neighbor for me because I believe my definition of neighbor is perfect. Jesus could have dismissed the lawyer, but Jesus shows compassion. He gives him another opportunity to respond, to cry out for God's mercy with brokenness and cry that he can't do it on his own. Jesus replied with an act of grace to this lawyer. And he finishes up part one of understanding the Good Samaritan. Commentator Warren Worsby shares, Our greatest responsibility is to obey the greatest of the commandments, which the lawyer quoted accurately. But we cannot rightly love God or our neighbor until we have God's love in our hearts. The second part is simply the story. Beginning at verse 30. When we pick it up in verse 30, and Jesus shares the story. He said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Jerusalem to Jericho is a 4,000 foot drop in 17 miles. It's a winding road. It has drop-offs that plunge three to 400 foot crevices filled with caves and rocks which provided hideouts for robbers and highwaymen who loved to rob and kill people who traveled on this road. This road is also called the Pass of Edumon and this word is related to the word for blood. A bloody pass is a very dangerous place. On one of his trips to the Holy Land, John MacArthur shares Going down that pass, which is a frightening thing in itself, especially in a bus, when the edge of the bus is over the edge of the road and you're looking straight down. As I was reading that, that John MacArthur had shared, I can relate that. While I was serving in the army, we traveled over the docks over the Panama Canal and they have high places that they have ships cross over and they have to lower the water level. And one weekend we were there, we were traveling to Panama City from Fort Sherman and we were on one of the buses there. I don't know if any of you have been to Panama, but they decorate their buses and they're not always passing inspection on everything, but most of it is working pretty well. But we were on the bus and we were going across and the water had been lowered and we were going across and it's just barely wide enough for a bus to go. 
And I remember <laughs> we got about halfway across and one of the tires blew, the right front one. And so the bus started tipping and we could see how low those locks were with no water down there. And then the driver said, everybody to the other side. So we quickly got over there and by the grace of God, we made it across. But I got to look down there as well. And so I can imagine what this road was like from Jerusalem to Jericho. If you get over close to the side on a bus and you're looking down what that might instill in you for the moment. This was a very familiar place. We read on in verse 30. It says, going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers. They, were, they stripped him, they beat him, and went away leaving him half dead. So what happened along this road happened to a man as he was beaten, the idea of beating here is they pummeled him. They repeatedly hit him. And he's close to dying. He's in critical condition. And I have this picture. He looked like Rocky after his fights. You ever see those at the end of the Rocky movies? Looks kind of beat up. That's the idea here that I'm seeing with this picture. Verse 31, though, we see there's some hope. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. A priest, God's servant, one who knew Leviticus 19.34, which says that if you see a stranger in need, you do whatever it takes to meet his need. Or Psalm 37.21, that the righteous is gracious and gives. He would know what God expects of him. Here's an opportunity to show mercy, but the hope is dashed because Jesus says he saw the man and actually went the opposite direction. The point is simple. You expect the priest who knew the law, knew what was required to help the man, but he showed no compassion. So verse 32, we have some a glimmer of hope again. Likewise, a Levite also when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. Someone from the tribe of Levi, the lowest of the priestly chain of command, assistance to the priests, the temple police come by this half-dead man. They too pass by and turn around and go the other way. So from top to bottom, the religious leaders these religious leaders show they have no love. No love for God, nor those they should consider neighbors. There's compassion that is lacking. But then we get to verse 33. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came up on him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. This is the eye-opener in the story, in the parable. A Samaritan comes along. Jews and Samaritans were enemies, as we're told in John 4 and John 8. Samaritans were hated by the Jews because Jews, they felt the Samaritans polluted the pure strain of God's chosen people. 
The Jews, according to John 8:48, said to Jesus, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? The worst thing you could say to somebody is you're a demon-possessed Samaritan because of that hatred. What we read on in this verse, it says that this Samaritan looked upon him and he felt compassion. Compassion. He knew he was hated by Jews and this victim, likely a Jew, passed the half-dead man and he felt compassion. Two men had no love. One man did. It says, first the Samaritan saw the man. He saw him. He had God's love in his heart for this half-dead naked man who was left to die. And he felt compassion. I want to illustrate what this compassion is in sharing a story called the starfish. I shared this often at the jail. I thought it was appropriate here. And I related it to the, those working at the jail at the time, the deputies. A deputy and his wife were busy to the point of exhaustion. They had committed to each other, their family, their church, their work, but they needed a break. So they escaped for a few days of relaxation at an oceanfront hotel. One night, a violent storm lashed the beach and sent massive breakers thundering against the shore. The man lay in his bed listening and thinking about his own stormy life of never-ending demands and pressures. The wind finally died down and shortly before daybreak, the man slipped out of bed and took a walk along the beach to see what damage had been done. As he strolled, he saw that the beach was covered with starfish that had been thrown ashore and stranded by the great waves. Once the morning sun burned through the clouds, the starfish would dry out and die. But then the man saw an interesting sight. A little boy who had also noticed the plight of the starfish was picking them up one at a time and flinging them back in the ocean. Why are you doing that? The man asked the lad as he got closer. Can't you see that one person will never make a difference? You'll never be able to get all those starfish back into the water. There's just too many. Yes, that's true. The boy sighed, bent over, picked up another, and tossed it back in the water. Then as he watched it sink, he looked at the man and smiled and said, but it sure made a difference to that one. One at a time. This Samaritan saw this man naked. He was left to die, beat up. And he looked at him and he had compassion for him. We're reminded of God's compassion, Lamentations 3, 23 The Lord's loving kindness never cease, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Something in His heart goes out to the man. So we read in verse 34. He came to him, he bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. 
He showed compassion. He looked up on this man's plight and he had compassion and he acted. He didn't say, well, that's something for somebody else to do. He did something. He had a driving need to rescue and recover this victim. He came to him. He evaluates his condition. He bends over him and he discovers he has wounds, literally trauma, maybe broken bones, victim of being pummeled and beaten and wounded. And he bandages his wounds and out of his own bag he clothes the man and he's in the process of pouring wine which was used as an antiseptic and oil to lubricate and soothe the tissue that was exposed he generously washes over the man this wine and oil he doesn't just dab it on say well this is kind of costly I'm just going to do a little bit he sees the wounds are great and he generously uses the wine and oil to take care of him. Maximum care is shown as he put him on his own beast and then the Samaritan walked. He picks up the beaten man and puts him on his animal and walks while the injured man is draped over his animal. You can picture that. He acted. God moved in his heart. He had the love of God in his heart to show compassion and act to help. And then we get to the end here, verse 34. He bandages him, pouring oil, brought him to an inn. The Samaritan brings him and he works with him all night, but he brings him to an inn. Have any of us stayed up all night with someone to help them through a rough time. Don't raise your hands, but I know there's been opportunities uh, that we all have to intercede, to be there for someone in their time of need. But he not only bandages them up, puts them on his own beast, takes them to an inn, but verse 35, he goes beyond. On the next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. Whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay. He takes him to the inn. He goes the extra mile. And in those days, Jesus said it ran for care at an inn to one thirty-second of a denarii to one twelfth of a denarii. So the Samaritan was paying up front 24 to 64 days of lodging to this complete stranger who was beaten and left for dead. The Samaritan had a heart of love. When somebody crossed his path, it didn't matter if the victim qualified according to his definition as a neighbor, but he acted to show his love for this man in need. In addition, it's like he left a blank check for the innkeeper for any additional expenses to care for this beat up naked Jew left for dead and he said my next time past here I'll pay you back generosity way over generosity have we ever loved strangers like that does God ever tug at our hearts to be generous to someone who crosses our path if God tugs do we respond or do we pass by on the other side John MacArthur shares, this is about limitless love. 
This is about a man who said, I will care for this man with no limit. The Good Samaritan basically expressed limitless love to man he never knew who was a stranger and an enemy. So that's the story. Now we come to the final part. Not only the setting and the story, but now lessons. Are there lessons here to learn? Let's look beginning at verse 36. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. Lesson number one. No one can keep the law perfectly. Try as we might. This lawyer thought he had. But we can see through this story and through what the Lord shared with this lawyer, he didn't have God's love in his heart. Because when we have God's love in our heart, how much did Jesus give when he went to the cross? He could have called the angels down. He could have been rescued off that cross. He didn't have to do that. But out of his love for us, he endured the cross because that love was so deep. God's love is like that. And if this lawyer had God's love in his heart, he would have had a different reaction when God told him about being loving the Lord with all his heart and loving his neighbor as yourself. We'll fall short when we try to keep the law perfectly. Lesson two. Who was a neighbor to the half-dead man? Well, the lawyer said with, a, I hope, a bowed head, the one who showed mercy. The good Samaritan in this story. And the lawyer is told, do likewise. Show mercy to anyone who crosses his path. Jesus showed us mercy when he chose us, when he saved us, when he keeps us. And as his adopted children will inherit eternal life. Lesson number three, as part of humanity, we don't love like the Samaritan in the story. We love ourselves. We surely do. How much do we see on the media promoting, you know, you're worth it, you're number one. But we don't do the same thing toward others. We don't love God perfectly, nor do we love our neighbors as ourselves. We can't save ourselves. We need a Savior who will save us. We need God's love in us and through us. Lesson four. How's our compassion meter? If we have compassion in our hearts, we will act on it. Not walk on by, but with God's love in our hearts, we will act when someone is hurt and dying. We're no better than anyone else. We're all sinners saved by grace. Lesson number five, the end of verse 37. It says, Jesus said to him and to us, go and do the same. Did the lawyer go and do the same? No. Could he on his own? No. Who will? John MacArthur shares, those who repent of their lack of love toward God and others 
and cry out for mercy and forgiveness from the Christ who has paid the penalty for that forgiveness through His death on the cross. Let's check ourselves out this morning in light of understanding the Good Samaritan. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We're thankful, Lord, uh, through the parable of the Good Samaritan, You were showing patience and mercy toward this lawyer as You show us. Father, we tend to push You aside except in emergencies. We need You, Lord. We need You every second of every day. We need to come with You with everything, Lord, because... If we believe Romans 8.28 to be true, we need to live by it. We don't know your plan for us, but we trust you that you'll never lead us astray. You'll never lead us into an area that, that you can't work through it and give us a way of escape when those temptations come. I pray, Lord, we would apply what this parable is teaching us to make sure in our daily lives that we're showing that we have Your love in our lives so that we can love You as You love us unconditionally. That we can show compassion to those who come across our path. Whether it's somebody that we like or somebody we can't stand, it doesn't matter, Lord. They all have souls. Everyone has a soul that someday will either be with you or without you. And I pray, Father, you would give us new opportunities, everyone here, to show your love to those who come into our lives on a daily basis. Thank you for what you are doing and what you will do. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you all. Have a great week.